What's happening in Ukraine? Why is it happening and whose fault is it? Over 100,000 Russian troops are positioned to attack Ukraine, not immediately, but perhaps within weeks. Whether or not this war now occurs turns largely on bilateral U.S.-Russia talks, which so far have resolved nothing, and also on whether Ukraine's government does anything to placate Russia, which seems unlikely. Russia might invade only a portion of Ukraine and make its presence a lever to demand that the government there effectively hand autonomy to the pro-Russian separatists who've been making civil war to effectively settle the civil war on Russia's terms. Or they might go further and even try to topple the government in Kyiv and install a friendly one. This seems less likely given the potentially bloody costs and complexities of a full-scale occupation. Any new invasion could be very bloody for Russia, but it is also possible, even likely, that Ukrainian forces would retreat at high speed rather than frontally engage massively superior Russian forces, and so the war would be less bloody uh, than it otherwise might. It's also possible that Russia will just keep troops and material on the border and in Belarus, where they are now, poised to invade in the belief that their threat is generating a diplomatic return. In the United States, this potential war is often thought of as a result of U.S.-Russia or NATO-Russia relations. This isn't totally wrong, as I'll discuss, but it misses how the problem Russia hopes to solve is in Ukraine. Ukraine's movement into greater alignment with the West, particularly since 2014, is a trigger for Russian elites who, for some combination of security, prestige, and cultural historical reasons, see a Ukraine that's not aligned with them as an affront or even a threat. The current Ukrainian government's failure to move towards implementation of the 2015 Minsk II deal with Russia, which is centered around formalizing autonomy for the eastern pro-Russian districts and a ceasefire, is a major sore spot for Russia, and they have not hidden their extreme displeasure. The prospect of NATO expansion there and NATO's refusal to rule that out is part of this displeasure, even though NATO expansion there is unlikely. Part of Russia's worry is that even if Ukraine is not admitted into NATO, it will be defended by NATO states as if it is a NATO member. Russia's recent diplomatic demands of the U.S., a formal treaty for squaring NATO expansion or NATO forces in Ukraine, uh, keeping NATO forces out of the uh, areas where NATO expanded in the 90s and after, should not be confused with the causes of the conflict. Their beef is chiefly with Ukraine. Now, given all this, if there is a war, whose fault will it be? Well, first of all, it will be Russia's. Uh, they are morally culpable for any attack on Ukraine and another violation of its sovereignty after their 2014 seizure of Crimea. It's also good to note that even from a Russian perspective, their leaders have sorely mishandled Ukraine, having helped turn a friendly state into a hostile one eager to join NATO, except for a worthless pro-Russia territory on its eastern edge. That is why, incidentally, I find it odd that people like Fiona Hill, the New York Times op-ed this week, uh, call Vladimir Putin a, quote, master of coercive inducement or a strategic genius. What exactly has Putin induced here? He seems to have rallied NATO against him, won no concessions, and made it more likely NATO troops are added to the Baltics and or Poland. But some blame should be reserved for Ukraine. This is victim blaming, admittedly, but they have handled a bad situation poorly. Ukraine has a 1,200-mile border with Russia, a far more powerful rival from a military perspective. The hard truth is that means Ukraine's security requires compromise with Russia and that it be neutral in its relations with the West. Instead, Ukraine has gotten more nationalistic and pro-West, maybe understandably, and President Zelensky, like the prior administration there, seems to have banked on some kind of deliverance from its conundrum through paltry Western aid and vague promises of ironclad support from the Biden administration. 
But it is obvious to just about everyone that Western support will not stop a Russian offensive. In IR terms, international relations terms, Ukraine chose balancing when bandwagon was their only real option. Finally, some blame for all this goes to the United States of America and its allies. Especially under President Biden, U.S. policy has had the effect of encouraging Ukraine to undertake near suicidal policies while we cheer from thousands of miles away. We should have used our support as leverage to get Ukraine to implement Minsk II and pursue neutrality. To make matters worse, we refuse to admit that we won't expand NATO there, even though we won't. Rather than remove NATO as an option as part of a peace deal, one that might arrest the immediate invasion threat, although it wouldn't solve the uh, problems that are creating a civil war, we insist on keeping the door open. We are risking invasion of Ukraine, one that we will not help defend against, for the principle that we might defend it later. This is deranged. As with expanding NATO in the 1990s and 2000s to Russia's borders, we are endangering what we loudly claim to protect here, Ukraine's sovereignty. Thus, while a war would not exactly be our fault in Washington, D.C., it is correct to say it would partly be a result of gross negligence from Washington. Our policy towards Ukraine amounts to pushing into war with Russia while we celebrate our virtue in aiding democracy. This is a moral disgrace, and we should shift to a more conciliatory stance before it's too late. That should begin with offering uh, to a moratorium on expanding NATO uh, to Ukraine, and we should be open to a variety of diplomatic solutions that uh, accommodate Russia's concerns about European security.